Hello, welcome to the Strange Matters podcast, where we discuss anything just outside the norm, ranging from the bizarre and unexplained to the supernatural and paranormal, and everything in between. My name is Eric, joined by my fellow co-host, Sean. Hey, everybody. Take it away, Sean. All right, so for this episode, we're going to be discussing a number of old, large, and mostly unexplained structures located in different parts around the world. Now, each of these structures are unique and fascinating, as well as being a little bit mysterious. Whether it is unknown what function these structures had, and even as to how these constructions were built in the first place, the pieces of architecture we will be talking about today are intriguing and mysterious, which is exactly what we love to discuss here. Yeah, I'd like to say there was a pretty large list of uh, different structures that we were going to discuss. Um some of the ones we consider was the underwater rock monument in the Sea of Galilee. I was even thinking about doing some research on Stonehenge. I'm sure everybody's familiar with Stonehenge, but we actually narrowed down the list and um, probably some of the more more uh, interesting ones, in my opinion. I think uh, some of them could have been explained through natural means, but I think the ones that we have selected are definitely true mysteries, in my opinion. Yeah, and probably ones that most people aren't overly familiar with, or maybe not have heard at all. So yeah, definitely. M- most of the ones that we're doing are were new to me, so it was definitely fun to research these topics. Yeah, exactly. All right, so as we mentioned, these structures are somewhat unexplained, but since we love to get to the bottom of any type of mystery or unsolved case, we have. Research and dug into each of these cases and found some pretty interesting theories behind these historic formations to shed a little light on what possible purpose they could have served. Yeah, so uh, let's go ahead and get started with your first one, Sean. Take it away. All right, so the first structure that we'll be talking about is the Coral Castle. And this topic was suggested to us by our buddy and friend of the podcast, Christops. Christops also helped us with our recent Chernobyl episode and is the host of his own podcast, The Eastern Border. So thanks for this subject, Christops. So the Coral Castle is this large stone structure located in what is currently Leisure City, Florida, and the United States. So the structure was built by a small but dedicated man named Edward Leeds Scotland. But he was a Latvian immigrant, right? Yeah, a Latvian immigrant. So despite the name, the Coral Castle isn't an actual castle per se, as most people would think of one, but it's more of a collection of these huge, uniquely sculptured chunks of limestone arrayed out, kind of like a garden. And, I mean, explanations can't really do the Coral Castle justice, so I highly encourage everyone to, when they have the chance, look up a few pictures of Coral Castle online, just to get a look for yourself. It's definitely very interesting and unique. So, at this complex, there's a series of megalithic stone structures varying in size and design. The whole ground consists of over a thousand tons of this stone, and it forms a large wall around the perimeter, different sculptures, and even a two-story tower where Ed lived. And on top of one of the walls was adorned several sculptures of the half-moon, along with the planet Saturn and Jupiter, There's a huge obelisk in one corner, a Polaris telescope, a water well, a moon fountain throne, and even functional large rocking chairs 
everything sculpted and everything made out of solid stone. I hate to say this because um, I'm sure it took a ton of hard work, however this guy did it, to get all these stones into place. But if you ask me, based on just some of the Google images, it's pretty tacky, honestly. I mean, there's no real rhyme or rhythm. It just looks like one day he decided to start moving around a bunch of stones and do something crazy. And definitely worked because it's crazy. But Yeah, I mean, I guess this kind of reminds me of kind of like the junkyard sculptures that people make. Yeah, out yeah. of just you know like old cars or just old junk that they find, or like your your creepy neighbor who puts up way too many Christmas decorations, and there's just like no rhyme or rhythm to what's going on in their front yard, but it's there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there's a difference between that kind of junk and then Edward, <laughs> who was able to build something out of thirty ton stones, pretty unique. Definitely. One of the more famous features that. I th- found probably most interesting is that he has this large nine ton revolving stone gate so it's kind of just like this solid stone that revolves in a circle kind of like revolving door that most people are probably familiar with and despite weighing nine tons this gate was so expertly crafted that the old story goes that a person could push it open with just the press of a finger pretty fascinating and no one knew exactly how he made this gate or how it operated until it was taken apart for repairs in the 80s. And they found that Edward had drilled a hole in the exact balance center of this huge block of stone and set a metal shaft and a truck bearing inside. And though the people who repaired it knew how it was done and they fixed it, even after the more modern repairs were done, the gate never really operated with the same ease that it had in the original condition. Uh, I just want to point out that's complete BS. They did not take it apart for repairs. They took it apart because they wanted to figure out how it worked. Apparently this guy knew what he was doing. It didn't need any repairs. I'm just guessing, but... Yeah, I guess... <laughs> they just they were just dying to take it apart. It was just eating away at the repair guy for years and years, and he's like, no, we got to shut it down. <laughs> I gotta take it apart. But there's nothing wrong with it. Nope, nope, we gotta take yeah. it. And then he tried to put it back together, but couldn't quite do it. Exactly, you ruined it. Good, I like that theory, Eric. <laughs> um, so perhaps the most impressive and intriguing part of the whole castle grounds is this huge square 30-ton block of stone. Just to put that in perspective, the average block of stone used in construction of the ancient pyramids was about 2.5 tons over 10 times smaller than this single block sitting on Coral Castle. As for his living quarters, Edward lived in, as we mentioned earlier, this two-story tower that he made for himself that's sitting on the corner of the grounds. And his little stone building was, and it remains, so perfectly made that there are no spaces or seams at all between the stones to allow any light or air through. So people who visit there are almost say that it looks like it was actually carved from a single block of stone and just to kind of show how well built edward made the coral castle his entire complex was hit in hurricane andrew in the year 1992 but nothing at all budged in all his stones so even a massive hurricane that hits nothing moved at all everything that he made was extremely solid pretty impressive i gotta say this guy has some major uh, craftsman skills yeah, I mean, you think that he would have been hired to make some, I don't know, statues or something, and said he just 
like to spend his time doing whatever he was doing. <laughs> yeah. For anyone wondering what is so mysterious or unexplained about this structure so far, it basically goes this. The legend goes that supposedly every single block of stone, even that single 30-ton piece, was lifted from the earth, carved, and set in a place, all done solely by this little 5-foot, 100-pound man from Latvia. So how exactly Edward could excavate, shape, and hoist these massive blocks into his design structure all by himself was a mystery that had amazed and puzzled people for many decades. A lot of people believe that Edward had discovered some kind of unknown techniques of magnetism or could even levitate these huge stones, and some believe that he even figured out the secrets of the ancient Egyptians who built their pyramids. Whether this is the truth, we're going to find out later on as we dig deeper into the story. Alright, so before we go further, I want to talk a little bit about the man himself. So Edward was born in Riga, Latvia in 1887. As the story goes, Edward was rejected by his first and only love, his 16-year-old fiancée, Agnes, the day before they were to be wed. So this heartbroken man left his home country and came to America. I'm guessing she must have been something special. I know I was broken up when I was a teenager, but I didn't leave my home country for it. <laughs> yeah, but it all worked out the better for us because now we've got these awesome tacky structures in Florida. That's true. So thank you, Agnes, for breaking up with Edward. Thank you, Agnes. <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> At 106 years old. Yeah, eh, who knows. So, I mean, unfortunately for Edward, his heart was broken, but his troubles just kept coming. And soon after he moved to America, he was diagnosed with tuberculosis, which is an infectious lung disease. And kind of miraculously, Edward's health conditions healed up pretty suddenly. And though not much is known about what his exact healing process was, Edward himself claims that he used a special technique using magnets to rid himself of tuberculosis. I'm not too sure about that, but he believed it. I think we've discussed crazier things on this podcast, but... That's true. I've never heard of it. Yeah. And, I mean, Edward would be kind of obsessed with magnetism and studying it and... His love of magnets will come into play later on in, in this discussion once we get to the theories part. Whatever the case, soon after that, Edward moved down to Florida City, which was at the time the southernmost city in the mainland United States. And it was there that he would begin construction on his famous legacy. So in the early 1920s, Edward began working on his strange stone construction project, but he soon began to feel like his privacy was being infringed on as a... Uh, People were trying to get on his property and see what the hell he was doing with all his carving and all his stones. So he wanted to move to a little more secluded area. So in 1936, he decided to make the move 10 miles north to a more isolated area. And of course, he couldn't leave his secret stone project behind, so he brought that along with him, hauling the massive stones from his old place to his new grounds and began to put together what he originally called Rock Gate, but would later be called what is known today, Coral Castle. So as to how he made his living, he basically just made it off of what he was building. Edward would charge tours to curious people who wanted to get a glimpse into his secretive castle. For his original smaller complex of Florida City, he charged 10 cents. But after moving and constructing his 
new and everlasting Coral Castle, he upped it to a whopping 25 cents. And that might not sound like a lot, but a quarter in the 1930s is worth about four or five bucks today. So I mean, at that time, Edward and his castle was already kind of a local legend. Word was already kind of getting around how he was using some sort of secret science or ancient techniques to levitate or transport these huge blocks of stone somehow. And it's likely he was making a couple hundred bucks a month on the side just by showing groups of people around and showing off his carved architecture. So I guess that's not bad for this lonely recluse. Now, I find it a little... uh confusing i don't i don't see how it's possible for him to keep all of this stuff a secret i mean if he's you know using whatever the theory is if it's magnets or some large device or something like that horses even to transport these giant stones into place and he's getting all this publicity and people are coming onto his land you would think that somebody somewhere would document how he's done this yeah exactly and you're kind of leading in the right direction a lot of this mystery and this kind of aura around him of all these weird science is kind of kind of an urban legend and once we finish with this story we'll kind of get to what you say kind of the more truth behind it all um but as for just his legacy a lot of people always figured he's just oh he's mysterious no one know how he does it and then moved on. But of course, I like to dig into the story, so I figured a, a few interesting tidbits out, and we'll get to that later on. Alright. So, the usual mystery surrounding these types of structures is usually why were they built and how were they constructed. So for this topic, the why, we have a pretty good idea, um, as Edward himself claimed that he dedicated his work to his lost love, Agnes. Of course he did. Yes. Still, after all these years later, she must have been one pretty teenager. Must have been. <laughs> so, I mean, what exactly he was trying to show or prove is a little more dubious. And one of his own publications, Edward admits that his sweet 16 love is more of an ideal than a reality. So, I don't know, perhaps it's a little more complicated than him just being obsessed with his ex-teenager lover after all these decades. I mean, I don't know. He never brought her over, so I don't know exactly what he was trying to prove by building these massive stone structures for her. Yeah. If that was the case. I'd imagine she never even heard about it. It's pretty crazy, honestly. I would never do anything like this for an ex. Yeah. Although I guess you have to be kind of a little bit crazy or, I don't know, lonely, maybe all the above, to pull something like this off. I'd imagine. Yeah. So in this case, the big mystery that's surrounding the Coral Castle since it was put together, was how did this little man create one of the largest stone structures of the time? So supposedly the castle built entirely by himself, and legend has it that he only worked at night so that no one could discover his secret methods of how he did it. And the fact that he was only 5 feet tall and weighed about 100 pounds just increased the mystique around him. You know, he's one of the smallest dudes. How was he moving these 10, 20, 30 ton blocks of stones all by himself. And, I mean, there are supposedly some eyewitness accounts that claim to have seen Edward levitating the stones in some impossible way. Allegedly, no one knows how he accomplished to build such an enormous undertaking. And this mystery is increased by his statement that he claimed in a quote, I think I have figured out how they built the pyramids. 
pretty lofty quote there. That is a very bold statement. Yeah, people have been wondering that for a couple thousand years now. Somehow, Edward devised a means to single-handedly lift and maneuver blocks of coral weighing up to 30 tons each. And on average, the weight of a single block used in the coral castle was much greater than those used in the Great Pyramid. And not only did he manage to move these blocks, but he managed to conceal the methods that he used to actually move them. Exactly. Which I think is the more interesting feat. Yeah, the fact that as the legend goes, no one saw what he was doing. They just kind of, you know, wish up a few days later and he'd have a brand new stone sculpture built. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. If I was around at that time and I had heard stories of this magician, I'd be snooping around all over his property, you know, every single night until I figured out what was going on. But yeah, that's just me. No, I mean, that's that's exactly it. People were trying to sneak on. But again, as the story goes, if supposedly he has some kind of sixth sense or something that if someone was on the land, he would suddenly stop working. So I don't know. Might just be all be regular urban legend kind of fluff, but who knows? So Edward was, you know, boasting these claims that he found some secret way and knew the ancient techniques that the Egyptian used to build a pyramid. And this, of course, just brought even more attention and mystique upon himself. As if his personal mystery was puzzling enough how he was building the Coral Castle. I mean, people have been wondering how the pyramids were built for millennia, not just decades. Estimates for the number of workers that built the Great Pyramid range between 20,000 and 100,000. And considering the population at the time of that area, that would be an almost unbelievable task. However, based on the abilities of this one man and the fact that he was able to quarry and erect a total of 1,100 tons of rock over a span of about 28 years, the 5 million tons of stone built into the Great Pyramid could have been quarried and put into place by only 4,700 workers. So, I mean, it's kind of revolutionary if you can apply what Edward was able to do by himself and kind of just multiply that into how the pyramids were made. Yeah. So clearly the Egyptians were a bunch of noobs, and they had no idea what they were doing compared to Edward. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what some people think, but, I mean, who knows? Maybe they were even smarter than him and could have got it done with a lot less people, so. I mean, there are many who don't buy into the fact that Edward figured out any kind of secret knowledge of construction that the ancient Egyptians had. Some Egyptologists claim to know how the Great Pyramids were built, and to prove it, they conducted a type of experiment by building a small replica of a pyramid consisting of stones no heavier than two and a half tons that were hefted into place by a big gang of workers who were kind of emulating the slaves at the time and all just pulling on ropes and chains and just straining and forcing the heavy blocks into place using brute force. But Edward's claim and techniques he was using, however, allowed him to move heavier, much more massive stone blocks than they were using, and he was supposedly working all by himself. So whatever he was doing, it definitely worked for him. All right, so that's kind of the overall history and the mystery of this Coral Castle, but let's start getting to the theories and explanations and see if we can come up with something reasonable. So according to the old myths and urban legends surrounding this case, no one knew how in the world Edward built his Coral Castle. As the story goes, no one ever witnessed him actually working on the structure, he would only work on it late at night, and no one could get a glimpse of what kind of methods that he was using, 
to transport these humongous stone blocks from one area and set them into his grounds. And I went on to the official website of the Coral Castle, and they have a quote there that says, The Coral Castle is an everlasting mystery to those who explore it. To this day, no one knows how Ed created the castle. Built under the cover of night and in secret, at a time when there was no modern construction conveniences, Ed would only say that he knew the secret of the pyramids. When he died, his secrets died with him. And to this day, scientists and thinkers still debate Ed's methods. Uh, so I think that's kind of funny, just how the the website. Well, I guess they're trying to they're kind of yeah. To build I mean, up that mystery. It's, and... it's marketing because you can still go visit the the Coral Castle today, and they've got tour guides, and you pay probably more than ten cents or whatever it was that Ed was charging, <laughs> but you pay a fee, and you can go view all these you know different structures. Yeah, I've read some people who I read some stuff from people who have visited, and I guess the tour guides definitely try to play up the mystery. And yeah, uh, no doubt. Yeah. So I mean, one of the more popular ideas is that Ed had discovered previously secret uses and techniques involving magnetism. As we already mentioned, according to him, magnets helped heal his tuberculosis. I don't know the science behind that, but you know. Whatever he he healed. Well, so. clearly you're not Edward. Exactly. Yeah. Who needs hospitals when you can just go and buy a few magnets and put them on your body? Exactly. So Edward didn't really buy into the accepted modern version of science and physics, and claiming instead that all matter was made up of magnets. And by understanding and manipulating the power of these tiny magnetic forces as they pass through matter, he could pull off impossible feats. And being able to harness the power of magnetism to make objects levitate is supposedly one of the secret magnetic secrets that Edward possessed. And if you believe the local legends surrounding this man, he was able to devise a means to single-handedly elevate and maneuver large weights, which would be pretty much impossible using the conventional methods of the time. There is speculation that he was employing electromagnetism to eliminate or reduce the gravitational pull of the Earth. So he's basically using or discovered anti-gravity devices, and that's how he was able to move these 20-ton blocks of stones. Uh, I mean, levitation is one of the crazy explanations as to how the ancient pyramids were built, and it's certainly a pretty interesting and fun theory to think about, whether it has any logic behind it or not. Yeah, I mean, if you've ever watched the TV show Ancient Aliens, then you know that the Egyptians were in cahoots with extraterrestrial beings, and that's how the pyramids were built. But, I mean, that's just that's just a matter of fact right there. But Of course, yeah. I don't know about all this electromagnetism stuff. I mean, it seems like crap to me. I mean, you, we both know stone doesn't have any sort of magnetic charge whatsoever. Yeah. So I don't see how you could – and the other thing is where would you come up with enough magnetite, I believe, is the element that that's uh, that they use to make magnets or something like that? Or is that a Pokemon? I think it's called, called magnetite or something is the element. Where would you ever come up with enough of that to, to be able to levitate a, a 50 or a 50-ton rock or whatever? I don't think it's – makes very sense i think it's more of just a, a novel idea yeah i was, I was kind of i mean i guess people who believe this mystery i was reading some 
I guess, experiments they were trying to pull off by putting magnets, you know, one on the ground and the other one on a stone. And then, you know, you have the opposite poles of the magnets and they try to repel each other and that pretty much creates anti-gravity or something, but it doesn't really work out, so... Right. I mean, if you've ever actually done that with two magnets, the only thing that happens is the magnet flips around and they attract to each other, so... Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I've tried levitating magnets on top of each other, too, and it takes a far more sophisticated uh, device to do that, much less with the gigantic stone on top of it, so... Yeah. And also the fact, I mean... Edward wasn't really a, a scientist of any means. Obviously, he was pretty good with his hands and constructing stuff, but it just seemed like he was kind of using this pseudoscience to try to build up his legend or his reputation. Definitely, kind of like the uh, tour guides at the Coral Castle. Yeah. I mean, it worked if that was his living and he got people to come and check it out, you know. I mean, power to him. Definitely, yeah. So, I mean, as cool as it is to believe that this obscure, small Latvian man somehow stumbled onto these secret transportation techniques using, you know, magnetism or levitation, there are a few much more believable explanations as to how he accomplished his castle. So, since people have been able to puzzle over this mystery for years and years, a few people have managed to put together some evidence that could shine some light onto this enigma. So there's a famous quote by Archimedes who states, Give me a lever long enough and I could move the world. And I think that this quote applies to this case pretty much perfectly. So the most and obvious and reasonable explanation as to how Edward built his castle is that he was in fact using conventional mechanical systems to lift and transport his stones. I mean, using some type of basic crane or a block and tackle technique, which is basically a system which uses several pulleys with a rope threaded between them, which is often used to lift heavy loads, it is entirely scientifically possible for a single man to build devices to help him carry such weight. I mean, some of the most basic leverage systems can multiply the force you are pulling. So, I mean, for example, if you are using a block and tackle and you're pulling with 100 pounds of force, it would magnify that amount and you would be able to lift, you know, 500 pounds on the receiving end. And the biggest clue as to why this could be the real story is that there are actually photographs at the time of a pretty large tripod in and around the castle grounds. And this tripod was made out of telephone poles and was supported and was supporting what looks like a pretty complicated block and tackle system. So I'm sure that these pictures of the tripod and the possible crane or whatever technique he was using they probably don't show that around the Coral Castle. Uh, I guess they're trying to keep that, you know, hush-hush. Oh, we're, we're, we're putting people out of business right now. Sorry, guys. <laughs> hey, the place still looks cool. But... Yeah, no, no, no. It's, yeah. it's definitely, uh, despite this, this theory you just mentioned, it's still unbelievably impressive. I mean, I guess it's kind of a disappointment given that the guy built it up that he had had harnessed these powers of magnetism. But if you think about it for a hundred pound guy to do this by himself, is still pretty impressive. Oh yeah. If this is in fact the, the true. And the dedication. I mean, it took him almost three decades to build this thing. So yeah, I'd, I'd probably given up after like a week. Yeah. Sorry, Agnes, you're not worth it. <laughs> 
I mean, every construction project we've tried has failed after about <laughs> a week. So yeah. this guy has got to, has it going for him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, back to this case, Edward himself said that he understood the laws of weight and leverage pretty well. And you can go online and find a bunch of videos of people who have built kind of similar contraptions as to what Edward probably used. In these videos, they are able to move stone blocks weighing anywhere from 100 to several thousands of pounds all by themselves. So it's definitely possible for a single person to do this. I mean, regardless if Edward did use conventional mechanical advantage techniques rather than tapping into the secret power of magnets, like we said, I think it's still pretty damn impressive what he was able to achieve all by himself. And just to uh, shatter a few of the other legends, as for the kind of myth that people saw Edward levitating stones, a local policeman shed a little light on that one. He said that Edward had been getting problems with kids, breaking in at night to spy on the mysterious man and see what his secrets were, kind of what we were saying. That's something that we would probably do when we were back back when we were teenagers. Yeah. Um, so the policeman showed up and accosted these kids who were trying to sneak onto the property, and that he claims that they were didn't want to get into trouble, and they were obviously trying to come up with anything that would, you know, some kind of reasonable story to get out of this mess. And they all said something to the effect that they had seen Ed levitating the stones. Now it's either dumb kids trying to come up with a lie or they actually saw something or legitimately scared, but I kind of believe the former, that these kids were just talking BS. And also, if he was using some type of crane, I mean, if someone was glancing from a distance to the wood at night, I mean, it could be possible that they were only seeing this hunk of stone lifting from the ground, that they weren't actually seeing the rope and chains around it that were helping to lift it. So who knows, maybe they saw that and like oh god it's levitating yeah um that makes sense i mean i suppose i don't know it's pretty impressive though irregardless i mean again i don't think this is something that anybody's been able to replicate ever since i mean we've done these small experiments to try and support theories of how this guy did it but ultimately the bottom line is he did it and however he did it it's still a pretty uh, impressive feat. Exactly. I mean, the whole mystery behind it might be solved or, you know, not as unexplained as it once was, but like you said, the guy built this massive castle grounds and it pretty much one of a kind and very interesting. Yeah. So our next unexplained structure is known as Nan Madal. So Nan Madal is a thousand-year-old prehistoric megalithic complex. Um, and it's pretty much ruins right now. If you look at pictures of it, it's all overgrown. Um, but it was a city that's built on top of essentially just a coral reef. And it's actually located near a tiny volcanic island called Temuan, which is part of the federated, which is part of what's today known as the Federated States of Micronesia. And this is located in the South Pacific Ocean near New Guinea, which is near Australia. If that kind of gives you all an idea of where this is on the globe. Um, and basically what Nan Madal is, it's a 200-plus acre city made up of an estimated 100 tiny man-made islets contained within an area of about uh, one and a half 
kilometers by 0.5 kilometers. So a pretty, pretty small area. So some of these islets were residential areas where the people lived. However, many of them served central purposes for food collection and preparation. And then one of them was actually for like canoe construction. So you can, you can really tell that these people had their own little civilization going on contained within these hundred tiny little islets. And on these islands, there are structures made up of over 750,000 tons of black basaltic rock. So not to uh, take a dump on Sean's coral castle, but uh, uh, this, this kind of dwarfs it in comparison. Um, so they use this basaltic rock as building material, and some of these boulders by themselves weighed up to 50 tons. So, that's, yeah, I mean, that's massive. That was what twenty yeah. tons bigger than the biggest stone used in Coral Castle. So yeah, yeah. We're already we're already talking about a much bigger scale here. Definitely. Um, and Temuan today is actually an excellent location for many kinds of like tourists and people who are just trying to see cool things and you know be out in the in, in the jungle and everything. But Nan Madal, on the other hand is actually considered evil and a taboo location by many of the indigenous people of Temuan. And if you talk to one of these Temuanese people, they'll actually discourage you from visiting Nan Madal because they think it's cursed. So we'll get into that a little bit later. So I guess it's kind of the opposite. The Coral Castle has become a big tourist attraction. But Namadol is pretty much isolated, and all the locals encourage people to stay away instead of visiting it. Yeah, it's it's definitely isolated, not as much of a, a tourist site as the Coral Castle is, but still, there are a few people that go to Namadol, mostly like researchers and scientists and history buffs. And actually, an interesting fact is that this island is said to be the inspiration for H.P. Lovecraft's story of Relia and the myth of Cthulhu. So I know that's a, one of Sean's favorites. Yeah, maybe this is where the bloop came from. Exactly. That's kind of what I was thinking. It's all connected. It is, it is all connected. Nan Madal bore Cthulhu, which bore the bloop. Yep. So anyways, what we do know about Nan Madal, most, most of this is shrouded in mystery, but we, what we do know is that it likely housed the ruling elite caste of the Sandilure dynasty as a political city of power. Um, so the, I don't know how you say it, the Sandilure dynasty was a kind of, kind of oppressive ruling dynasty at the time. Um, and as a means of control of their subjects, this dynasty had succeeded in uniting the clans of Pompeii, and some of the smaller local chieftains were kind of forced against their will to leave the surrounding villages and come move into the city so that the Saudular dynasty could kind of keep an eye on them. And it, it was sort of, like I said, an oppressive dynasty, but it was really effective. Yeah, I guess that's the whole, you know, keep your friends close but your enemies closer yeah definitely and you're i mean you're basically holding these other chieftains hostage 
Pretty much. Yeah. And, and they would just do this to kind of, you know, make sure that they were monitoring every little thing that happened. And it's pretty effective. Um, but anyways, so on Nan Madal, there is a mortuary sector called Madal Po. And it takes up about 58 of the islands by itself. And this is kind of in the northeastern quadrant of Nan Madal. So if you think 58 of the islets, so kind of the majority of Nan Madal, I guess, is is dedicated to this mortuary sector. And the centerpiece of the whole complex is the royal mortuary at the islets of Nandawas, which is uh, an area that has like seven and a half meter high walls, which surrounds the central tomb. Um, so I guess this is where they enclosed the the chieftain of the Sojilur dynasty. Yeah, I, mean, I guess it's compared to the ancient Egypts who had their you know massive pyramids and stuff that they would be entombed in. Yeah, definitely. And there are a lot of comparisons and similarities between the Egyptian pyramids and a lot of these giant structures we're going to be discussing. Um, so archaeologists actually... Uh, frequent the ruins in hopes of discovering something about this kind of mysterious land's history. However, for the most part, they're just consistently turning up empty-handed. These strange structures obviously raise many different questions. So I guess kind of the big thing is how can this sort of architecture be explained and how could these primitive people have moved such colossal stones you know, during such a fragile stage in mankind's development. I mean, if you think about it, this is back in the 8th and ninth century when this construction had actually begun. And it's just crazy to think about. I mean, this is in the middle of the ocean on a coral reef, and these are gigantic stones that have been set in place to build a city on top of. So, Yeah, there's really nothing like it that I've come across been trying to find something that compares to it. It's, I guess the big mystery is just, you know, what's the purpose and why, and how could they bring all these stones, you know, into the water and erect it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's not as, it's, it's far more crude than the coral castle. Um, but nevertheless, still very impressive. Yeah. So researchers actually found several, potential quarry sites um, kind of around the neighboring islands on Pompeii. However, you know, transporting these stones is something that would require, like, I would imagine, like, a modern-day tanker to move something so massive, if you think about it. I mean, a 50-ton stone, that would take a pretty big boat. It's so big, and just the this, this space that it takes up, too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's a lot of rock right there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were like columns. So there are these long stone columns that they just like, kind of like piled on top of each other to make the base for the city. So obviously researchers have, you know, in our quest for understanding, tried to reconstruct these scenarios using wooden like rafts uh, to try and transport these stones from larger neighboring islands. But I mean... <laughs> What do you think happens when you put a 50-ton stone on a wooden raft? It, it sinks. So yeah, kind of dis- disappointing. I don't even know why we bothered trying that. But 
I was going to say, you think they would have scaled that down a little bit. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's kind of like the, it's like an elementary school experiment. You put some popsicle sticks and then you try putting a big ass rock on it and it's, you know, it's going to sink. Yeah, exactly. Um, so some of the local Timuanese believe that the Sodular dynasty used dark magic to kind of levitate these boulders and turn them into these tiny islands. So here we go with the levitation again. At least the the magnetism thing had a a ray of hope for yeah. the theory. But I mean, dark magic. I don't really know. I mean, it, honestly, it, it's it's a toss up between science's explanation with wooden rafts and dark magic because both of them are doing a pretty poor job of explaining this. I was gonna say that's when you just have no idea. Yeah what's going on like, uh, magic <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly and that's how that's i mean that's just the way people thought at the time if they saw something that couldn't be explained they just yeah. blamed it on magic so so obviously many of these people are truly convinced that this dark magic not only played a part in constructing the city but also that it's still very alive in nan Madal. um and so that's why you know, they, they discourage tourists from visiting the island. Um, so again, the construction of these artificial islets started probably around the 8th and 9th century AD. However, the megalithic structures were built in the period of the 12th to 13th century, about the same time as the stone construction of the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris. And the construction has also been compared to the ancient Egyptian pyramids, but it's even more remarkable given that it was, you know, done in the water, obviously. I'd say it's it's both stories or structures of moving massive stones, but with Namadol you have the added factor that they're transporting it across waterways. Yeah. So how do they do that? Exactly. So the lost city has been abandoned since before the first Europeans arrived in the early 1800s. Some believe it could be the lost city of Lemuria, which is a mythical uh, city, and it's supposedly said to be the lost sister continent to Atlantis. Um, and this is the city of Lemuria. I was just kind of reading up on it a little bit. It's kind of a a myth. It doesn't really exist, but I think some famous author wrote about it in one of his books, and it kind of grew from yeah, there. Caught on, yeah. Just kind of like the Lovecraft stuff. Yeah, exactly, with Cthulhu. Uh, but the island possessed many logistical issues. For instance, it was impossible to grow crops on or obtain fresh water from the island because all the water surrounding is salt water. Um, however, it's thought that slaves brought all the necessary supplies from the neighboring areas. And if you think about it, that's kind of characteristic of kind of how we've described the Sodular dynasty I mean, they seem pretty oppressive, um, so I'd definitely say having slaves as gophers is not beyond the, the scope of their practice. Yeah, especially if they're, you know, putting the hammer down on all these local tribes and, you know, basically stealing their chieftains. Right. I mean, I'm sure they were doing a deal where, you know, it's like, okay, you guys are part of our dynasty now, so give us, you know, 50% of your crops. Exactly. Sounds like a uh, sounds like something off of a, a recent famous TV show that we all like to watch, called <laughs> yeah. Walking Dead. 
Yeah. Anyways, so according to local lore, the ultimate downfall of the Sajulers was their increasingly oppressive rule and centralized social system. So the dynasty was toppled in 1628 by the semi-mythical warrior Isokelikel, who came from the island of Kosarei. However, this this mythical warrior is kind of an interesting character. There's 13 different stories of how the downfall of this nation occurred, most of them involving Isokelikel. Um, but, you know, besides this, the, the problem and the reason there aren't many details about the downfall of the dynasty is that there's not any sort of artwork or writing to obtain clues from on the island. And the only known history about it has been passed down orally over the centuries. So, Exactly. I mean, for people who have played the game, you know, telephone or whatever, you know, when things are passed down orally, all it takes is one or two minor changes that happen over and over again. And then here you go 200 years later and the story is nowhere near the original. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's pretty much exactly what's going on here. And, you know, without any clues, without any paintings on the wall or any writings, tablets, nothing like that, you know, what else, what else are the people supposed to do other than, you know, blame it on dark magic. And so Anyways, this this story is pretty interesting. Unfortunately, we're lacking a lot of details from a historical perspective. Um, so not a lot of really good theories out there besides the uh, black magic and science uh, to explain how this city got put in place. I was thinking, and I have nothing scientific to base this on, but I figure, you know, back in the 8th and 9th century AD, and that's just an estimate. It could have been even earlier than that. I mean, who knows what the topography of this area was at the time. It could have been, you know, maybe there weren't, maybe it was just like, maybe there wasn't any water there. And maybe at the time it was just land. Cause my understanding is, is that, you know, the, it's, it's pretty shallow in the area currently. So maybe, uh, maybe they just kind of like walked the stones over somehow. Maybe they yeah. had, you know, giant gigantic wooden rafts um i mean if you think about it uh, these not all of these stone columns were 50 tons so maybe if they put enough wood under it maybe it would flow i don't know i mean it's kind of tough to explain i was thinking even if it wasn't i mean that is a good theory because i know a few of the structures that we looked at but didn't make this episode it's kind of a similar thing where I think you were talking about like the underwater uh, structure near the Sea of Galilee, where they think that when it was built, it was actually above water, but you know it just kind of filled up, so now it's underwater. Yeah. So it is possible that during this time, maybe there were some land routes there. But, I mean, if this you know empire dynasty was so powerful, I would, it, this thought just popped in my head. You know, maybe they created like an artificial bridge or something. That just popped into my head too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I know Alexander the great did that. I can't remember which city it was, but it was like a, an Island and he couldn't get to it. So he literally just built a land bridge there. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe these guys are able to do the same thing. They just built a temporary causeway and then they built the stuff. And then, you know, the, the land bridge just kind of washed away from the ocean. Yeah. But the, the city remained of course. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty plausible theory right there, honestly. And, hey, if you've got centuries of time and nothing to do, 
you know, might as well put your uh, put your slaves to hard work. So I was gonna say, as long as the elites are coming up with the ideas, they're not the ones actually putting in the hard work. So <laughs> it's easier for them just to carry out the orders. And... Exactly. You know what? Make me a city in the middle of the ocean. I don't care how you do it. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Crazier things have been done. All right. So that was a very interesting. Pretty much unexplained, much more mysterious than the Coral Castle turned out to be. So let's get to our third and final structure, and it is going to be the Gosic Circle. And the Gosic Circle is a Neolithic structure that is found in Gosic, Germany, in Europe. It is thought to be the oldest circular enclosure built in Central Europe during the Neolithic time period. And the Neolithic is basically just when they were using stone tools and stuff like that. And this might very well be the first monumental architecture built in the entire world, as the Gosic Circle was constructed 2,000 years before the ancient Egyptians erected the pyramids along the Nile. Ooh, interesting. I, wish one, I wonder which one's older, this or Stonehenge? I believe... I, don't, I can't remember what the date is, but as we'll get into later, I think this and Stonehenge are built like on the same, I think, latitude line. And that'll, that'll come into factor a little, little later on. So that's, I mean, it's the only similarity between them. But interesting. Glad you brought, glad you brought that up. Yeah. So I mean, basically, as the name implies, the Gosic Circle is obviously a circle-shaped structure with a 220 feet diameter. There's a a mound and a ditch uh, that's surrounding two inner circular wooden walls basically forming four concentric circles and with a large gate equally spaced around the outer edge. And the gates and the wooden palisades face north, southwest, and southeast. And those directions will come into play later on when we get into the theories. So radiocarbon dating was used to find out the age of the structure, and it was discovered that it dated back to 4900 BC. Certain pottery shards were also dug out, and they belonged to the stroke ornamental wear culture dating back to circa 4700 BC. So these two discoveries show that the site stayed functional for a period of about 200 years, and then it was abandoned. And no one knows for certain why this large, intricate structure was suddenly left behind. There weren't any signs of a natural disaster or damage to the structure, and there weren't any hints of a fire or anything in the Gosic Circle, basically just leaving archaeologists confused as to what drove people away from it. So, I mean, that's kind of a mystery within a mystery, why these people built this thing and then pretty much just immediately and without cause just abandoned it. So the Gosic Circle is not the only one of its kind. There are hundreds of others that have been found throughout the Czech Republic, Austria, and Germany, but the Gosic Circle is the largest of all and the most well-preserved one. Archaeologists know practically nothing about the people who built the structure, as they have no clues left behind of their language or religion, so the modern man can only speculate, kind of similar to what we were just talking about at Namadal. Initially, the archaeologists believe that the circular enclosures was some kind of fortification, which makes sense to me. I mean, when you think of ancient times, if you could build this large circular structure with a series of ditches and wooden palisades, it would should be used to make a pretty good line of defense against attackers. If you look at pictures of the Gosic Circle, it certainly looks to me like it would be a good fort against some kind of neighboring tribe or invader. 
based on your uh, expert military understanding. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've played medieval Total War video game. Yeah, I've I've, I've built uh, pillow forts before. Yeah, yeah. It's all about the walls. So archaeologists were baffled <laughs> by the archaeologists were baffled by the absence of any building inside the rings. However, so basically you just have you know you have this big mound and then a ditch and then these two walls, but then nothing in the circle itself. No huts or buildings or any kind. So I mean, therefore, any thoughts of the circular enclosures being used as fortifications was scrapped because. Why are you going to build walls around something that you're not really guarding at all? Yeah, yeah, I see I see the dilemma. Yeah. So the excavators were also found a more disturbing discovery and they found traces of human bones inside the structure. A human skeleton missing his head was found by the southeastern gate. So things are starting to get a, a little darker. There were also clues that small fires were lit in the enclosure of the circle. And basically by just piecing together these clues, some believe that there could have been sacrificial rituals carried out in the circle. So, I mean, it's, I guess, not too hard to believe that these primitive people thousands and thousands of years ago carried out some kind of human sacrifice. Unfortunately, since we don't know anything about these people's religion or rituals, we don't know for sure if this is what it is or for what reason that they would carry out these sacrifices, if that's what they were. On the other hand, the bones could have simply been the result of some type of burial ceremonies. Perhaps the honored members or the elite of the society were given the right to be buried in the inner circle, much like the pharaohs of ancient Egypt were placed in their pyramids when they died. And same thing with Namadal. Yeah, I think you're kind of hitting on something. I mean, that, that sort of makes sense. I mean, this is far more primitive than the Egyptians because, I mean, they had they had stones and they were able to build these giant pyramids that were geometrically, like, perfect. But, you know, at this time, this is way earlier than the Egyptians. And, I mean, to kind of – I guess I can see how they would have some sort of strange ritualistic religion where they want to bury their ruler – inside of some sort of ceremonial enclosure and protect it with walls from demons or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, especially if there were any buildings or anything in the circle, as we've said. I mean, maybe it was just type of whatever religion they were practicing. Maybe it was just something to bury people, or maybe it was sacrifice. So who knows? Probably one thing we'll never know about this case, just because there are no... Really, besides the bones, there's no evidence. So we know there are people were either killed or buried there, but we don't really know any other details beyond that. So after the site was entirely excavated, archaeologists came up with a new theory as to what purpose this structure served, and that's probably the more believable and reasonable one. Many believe that the Gosic Circle actually served as an ancient observatory of the sky. And this discovery was pretty major news as the common conception of people at this time were probably very simple and primitive people just trying to survive you know using their stone tools i mean these guys were everyone's seen pictures of the crude hatchets or spears and so i mean you don't really think of these type of people as you know being able to read the stars or knowing anything about the sun or the moon movements 
Yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely picturing some sort of like Neanderthal type guy with a, a stone knife wrapped in a leather cord. Oh. Kind of having picture having trouble picturing these guys being masters of astrology. Yeah, I mean that's that's why this theory is kind of so groundbreaking is that before this idea that basically was the conception is that these guys were basically just barely surviving using the crudest tools but I mean who knows maybe they were a lot smarter than people gave them credit for true I mean so if this explanation is correct this means that even these primitive people were studying the stars and planets above thousands of years before more advanced civilizations did the same like the Egyptians and so it turns out that they kind of made a replicated model of the Gosic circle. And if you were standing in the exact center of the circle, on the day of the winter solstice, you can see the sun rising exactly through the southeast gates. And then you'll see it set right between the southwest gate. So they had this down pretty much perfectly to align with the winter solstice of the sun. Interesting. Yeah, this. Once again, I mean, these this this takes planning. You, this isn't something that you can just be like, let's you know just build this here. They probably had this mapped out years beforehand and knew exactly what they were doing. Right. And this is a, just another yet another similarity to some of the ancient Egyptian structures, like you were talking about earlier. Some of which aligned perfectly with certain astrological events. What makes this even more impressive, though, is that this came a couple thousand years before the Egyptians did. So these people were even more primitive, but yet somehow they were able to master some of the basics of the solar and the lunar calendar. So I guess that would mean that the skeleton they found in the center of the Gothic circle was just some guy who died staring at the stars or something like that. Yeah, it could be. I mean, he was missing his head, so... Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe he was looking up so long that it just kind of fell off his back or something. Possibly. No. I don't know. I mean, kind of like the Nam at all thing. If you've got nothing but time, nowhere to be, nothing to do, might as well just stare at the stars and do math. Yeah. I guess the thing is, like, we don't know. It's even We know even less about this than Nam at all. We don't know if there is a empire dynasty. Like I said earlier, the basic conception of these people were basically just nomadic tribes just using stone tools, so... You oh. think they live together in little villages, but I I never thought these people were capable of pulling, you know, building multiple of these circular structures that allow them to study the stars above. Right. And if you think about it at that time, I mean, this there there are no city lights. There's nothing to interfere with your view of the sky above. And if you look around you during the day, picture yourself like, out in the middle of Germany, everything you see around you can be reasonably explained. If you're if you're looking at it through the eyes of a, a primitive man, everything around you is pretty pretty easy to explain. You know, you've got trees, you've got berries, you eat the berries, you kill the animals, you eat the animals, but you look up into the sky and you see stars. And it's like, what are these stars? And if you think about it, if you're a, a primitive person, that's got to be a huge source for question. And I can imagine that that would attract a lot of attention. And people, you know, again, with nothing but time on their hands would probably just kind of 
stare at the stars and follow them over the years. So I don't think it's totally crazy to think that they, you know, had astronomy worked out at the time. If you think about it, I mean, all you're doing it pretty much is, is charting the, the movement of the stars and everything. So, I mean, it's definitely interesting, but it seems to make sense. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, just the fact that there are, multiple other of these type of circular structures. I mean, not as large as the Gosek circle or as old, but I guess it just shows that several people during that time period kind of knew what they were doing. Right. Or, I mean, maybe they were all connected in some way, whether they were just studying the stars or if they were, you know, some kind of planetary worshiping going on or something. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. True. I mean, that's what all these ancient civilizations have in common. The Egyptians, the Mayans... You know, all these people, they were all masters of astronomy, basically, and mathematics. It's like geometry, stuff like that. It's like, I mean, what else What else are you going to do with your time? So Yeah, that's true. I mean, you could die pretty much any day, so. Yeah, exactly. Get e- well make the use of it. Get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger or stepped on by a woolly mammoth. Yeah. I think that was a little earlier, but. Hey, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really sure of anything right now. Yeah, that's true. That wraps up the Gosek Circle, and that's the last of our large, ancient, unexplained structures that we're going to be talking about for this episode. So thanks for listening to this episode of Strange Matters Podcast. If you would like to reach us to send feedback on this episode, or if you think we missed something, want to contribute, or if you want to you know, send us ideas for our next episodes, please feel free to email us at strangematterspodcast at gmail.com. We have been getting a lot of ideas and suggestions, and we promise that we're working on them as fast as we can. So just be patient with us as we work through those. But in the meantime, please send in any idea that you have. Yeah, it's actually been pretty nice because I haven't really had to uh, pick my own topics. I've just kind of gone through a list of all the awesome suggestions you guys have sent in. Um, so we really appreciate our listeners supporting us and sending in ideas for new episodes. It really makes things interesting and fun for us. And we've definitely learned about a lot of strange things that we've never heard of before just by you guys' suggestions, so keep it up. Um, Also, if you want to visit us on our website, strangematterspodcast.com, you can go there and view all of our episodes. Yeah, Strange Matters Podcast is a member of the Dark Myths Collective, and basically Dark Myths has a bunch of podcasts somewhat similar to ours. There are some that deal with mysteries or weird urban legends, but there's also some history-based ones or some fictional telling ones, but they're all excellent. So I highly suggest everyone who is looking for some new podcast to check out, go over to the darkmyths.org and uh, go see if anything there interests you. Also, as I mentioned in my last episode, I'm looking for any listeners, since we have listeners from all over the world, uh, we're interested in your myths or folklore or, or urban legends from your hometown or wherever you're from. So if you have some kind of interesting story, whether it's a mystery or a crime or just some weird urban legend, yeah, please feel free to share it with us, send it to our email, or uh, get in touch with us on one of our social media, Facebook or Twitter. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us uh, promote the podcast and helps us know what areas we need to improve on. So until next time at Strange Matters Podcast... Have a great day, everybody. Take care.